sometimes it builds resentment, but I tend to let it go. Um, what, being a woman? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast where imperfect people have imperfect conversations. Today's conversation is going to be with my friend Jazz, who graciously agreed to come on my podcast. I didn't force her this time. (laughs) No, I I joke that I I force people to be on my podcast, and in some ways that's true. But I have a deep appreciation of everyone who's willing to come on here and share these really vulnerable parts about themselves that don't often get talked about. And I'm really excited for you to hear her story. Uh, But first, I just want to say hello to everyone who is tuning in. We skipped last week's episode because I turned 30, air horn here. I had a really busy weekend uh, with my family. The day before my birthday, like I mentioned on the last episode, we had a collective celebration celebrating the last night that all six of my siblings and I were in our 20s. It was really fun. Um, I really, really enjoyed it and felt appreciated and all that jazz. But the day of my actual birthday, I did absolutely nothing. I stayed inside and watched like six episodes of This Is Us and cried my eyes out. And then my partner came home from work and took me out to get Thai food. So it was a really good day. Thank you for everyone who wished me a happy birthday. Yeah, I I love being 30. I'm so glad my 20s are over and I'm excited to see what the future holds. Um, I'll talk more about that on my next solo episode. There's some changes going on right now that are just exciting, but really stressful. Um, Honestly, this last week has gone by like in a blur. I feel really tired and really stressed out, but also I'm really proud of myself for getting through it and just continuing to show up for myself and show myself how capable I am. Um, Because for most of my life, I haven't felt very capable. And one of the great things about finally entering another decade, at least for me, is that at this point, I, I kind of know who I am and what I can and will not put up with. And it's kind of nice to spread my wings a little bit and um, continue to grow, really. That's all it comes down to. It's another year of growth, and I'm excited for it. Before I transition into my conversation with Jazz, I wanted to remind y'all that there is a pickle poll on my Instagram that you still have time to answer before next week's episode. The pickle poll for this week is... What keeps you going when nothing is going your way? And I posted that when I was having a really tough time. Again, I'll go into more detail next week when I do a solo episode. But the emotions have been all over the place this week. It's been moments of triumph and joy. But more often than that, it's been moments of anxiety and depression and hopelessness and a lot of frustration. And so if you've felt like that, what am I saying? Of course you felt like that. If you're listening to this podcast, you know what it's like. And um, if you have any tips or things that you do when nothing is going your way, hit me up. Tell me about them. You can send in a voice recording. I have 
uh, a couple people who have sent me audio messages. Uh, someone even sent me a few videos, which I'm really excited to share next week. So hit me up with your answer and I will make sure that the pickles and vodka audience hears it. All right, um, I can't really think of any other updates to give. So this really is gonna be a short intro this week. As always, if you want to be a guest, I would love to have you. If you have a story you wanna tell or if you just wanna like bitch and moan about your mental health, that is totally fine too. Hit me up on Instagram or Facebook at Pickles and Vodka Podcast and we can get the ball rolling. I promise that I am just as friendly and just as awkward in real life. Uh, Okay, with that said, here is my conversation with Jazz. I hope that y'all enjoy. Okay, say something. Testing. Hello. Hello, pickles. Oh, God. (laughs) What do you call your listeners? I call them my hot and spicy pickles sometimes. But I don't know. It's kind of (laughs) creepy. I can't think of anything else. Welcome to the podcast. We've begun. (laughs) She looks so uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, Jazz is someone that I met in Virginia and has quickly become uh, an important part of my life. Uh, I talk to her almost every day and we've gone through some crazy shit together. (laughs) (laughs) And she has so graciously offered to share her story on the podcast. Hello, everybody. Have you ever been on a podcast before? No, I have not. This is my first time. I know you listen to podcasts all the Uh, time. Yeah, I love to listen to podcasts. Um, My sister and I often talk about starting our own podcast. (laughs) What would it be about, do you think? So this morning, we actually literally had a conversation about um, documentaries. If we did do a podcast, it would be about us like reviewing documentaries because we both watch documentaries all the time and one of our favorite documentaries is Grey Gardens. <laughs> I've not okay I always thought that was a show about old ladies. <laughs> so it's about um, a mother and her daughter. You just have to watch it. It's amazing. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> now I'm just thinking about Grey Gardens <laughs> and my whole perception has changed. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself to listeners, say what your name is, how old you are, where you're from, or whatever else you want to you wanna mention. All right. Well, I am Jazz. I am from Newport News, Virginia. I'm 31, but 29 forever. Um, <laughs> that's neither there. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Don't worry about it. Um, and as Christina mentioned, we have met in, it's been, what, the past, it hasn't been a year yet. It was in, like, October, November, I think. Okay. Just meeting new people is, like, always a nervous thing for me. Yeah. Have you always been like that? No. No, I have not always been like that. Um, I think as I got older, I got more anxious and like that's when my anxiety developed or at least I noticed it more if it was there when I was like younger in high school and stuff then I didn't ever really notice it but I I honestly think it developed once I got older and after my incarceration I was like trying to prepare you for the podcast and I was just like I don't know what you want to talk about I honestly (laughs) feel like you 
could talk about a lot of different things. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but first, do you want to talk about uh, growing up a little bit? Like, whether yeah. mental health was discussed in your household at all growing up? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I'm from Newport News, Virginia. Um, my father was in the Air Force. He retired after 22 years. Um, growing up, mental health was never really discussed. Like, it, it's nothing that I can, like, prominently remember. Yeah, no, it wasn't, like, a conversation amongst my parents. Um, my mother, um, my mother definitely struggles with mental health, um, and I feel like she also struggled with alcoholism. Those are things that weren't discussed, especially, you know, amongst her or anything like that. My parents got divorced when I was, like, six or seven years old, and because I was so young, there were a lot of things that I didn't notice. But as I got older and then talking to my older sister as well, because we're really close and just certain things she started to point out to me and she's like, you're probably too young to have realized or you just didn't know. So now I'm very much more aware of certain things that were like going on and why certain things occurred in the household growing up. Like, so we were supposed to move to Germany and like we went through, you know, in the military. Yeah. You come from a military background. Yeah, Navy brat. Yeah. You we never go. lived abroad though. You have to go through all of like the tests beforehand, the, the health checks, mental health checks, you gotta make sure your, you know, vaccines and shots records are up to date, all that different stuff. Like I do remember going through some of that stuff and then it was just like everything just kind of fizzled out. And I didn't know why. Yeah, we didn't go, but my father went, and then, like, the Mm. divorce happened. Everything just kind of happened at once, but I just didn't realize what was going on. And I guess, I don't know how accurate this is, but I guess it was because my mom's mental health is why she couldn't go. Um, And then, like, of course, like, everything was crumbling in their marriage and whatnot, so. So you put these pieces together after the fact, obviously. At the time, what did you think was going on? I don't know. <laughs> you were just kind of like yeah, floating along, yeah, doing whatever. Being a kid. <laughs> it's so weird when you don't really have a lot of memories of your childhood. At least for me, like a lot of pieces are blurry or missing. Same. And, and then when you do think back on it, or in your case, you had an older sibling who was able to kind of give you their perspective. Yeah. It's kind of weird to think, wow, like was I being traumatized <laughs> and I didn't realize yeah, it? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like, you said a lot of pieces, like, there's a lot that I don't remember from my childhood, and I just, I think that's one of my characteristics, is I tend to block things out, and I intentionally forget them, because um, even now, I remember certain stuff from high school, and even the past couple of years, I've gone through some traumatic experiences, and, you know, some people, when they go through trauma, they can remember, like, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, I'm not like that. Some of it's it's kind of blurry or some of it I just, like, really have forgotten. And I think it's because I intentionally, like, made myself forget or block it out. Yeah, you're protecting yourself. Yeah. So right off the bat, before we go any further, I know that you're estranged from some of your family. Um, yes. who, who in your family do you still talk to to this day? Um, so I talk to my oldest sister every day, like, all day, every day, throughout the day. <laughs> um, and uh, that's, like, really it. No, I do have... Some of my cousins who I talk to here and there, mostly on my mom's side, but I do speak to some of my cousins on my dad's side. But yeah, I really, that's like my sister, my oldest sister is, is my everything. (laughs) So over time, especially after your parents divorced, did the family kind of start to kind of become fragmented naturally? Or did you make the decision to step away yourself? 
Um, even before the divorce, I think it was kind of getting fragmented. I think the divorce probably... Like, accelerated things? Yeah, it may have accelerated a few things. As far as my mom, it was just always... Like, when I was younger, I didn't really realize I was like, oh, I was really a daddy's girl, but I was like, always, I wanted to be a mommy's girl. And then, like, in high school, once I graduated, I wanted to live with her, and I just wanted a relationship with her so bad. And then I moved with her, and things went terribly bad. And after that, that's when we became estranged. How old were you at that time? I was 18. I had just graduated in 2009. Yeah, and I haven't... I don't I don't remember the last time I saw my mom like I've recently saw a picture of her but I can't remember the last time that I actually like stood in the same room as her and saw her was there like an event that helped kind of build that gap between y'all oh relationship yeah, yeah definitely Do you, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit we got into like a huge fight um and she, she at that time like she would drink like vodka at room temperature like during the day and I remember one time she mixed her medicine up and like had been drinking and I just felt like that was so irresponsible and it was like supposed she was supposed to take like a blood pressure medicine and she took something else and I just was like I can't I can't be the child in right. taking care of you I can't be your mom yeah um and it just got really frustrating and got frustrating for my older sister as well and I don't know like so I have another sister I have <laughs> I'm the youngest. There's four of us. My father has another daughter, which I, I never grew up with her, and I don't really have a relationship with her. My mom had... Well, my other two siblings um, by her previous um, marriage, and so I grew up with them in the household. Um, I don't know how much my other sister really noticed because we never really talked about it like my oldest sister and I we talk about you know stuff with my mom and Mm -hmm. just the past all the time my other sister and I we haven't really ever had that conversation so I don't know how much she like really realized at the time or like looking back knew or whatever the case may be do you know if your mom ever dealt with her addiction or sought treatment or anything like that I don't think she sought treatment um I believe she's since stopped drinking but I don't know that she ever had, like, professional help or treatment yeah. or anything like that. It's really hard to to speak on a loved one's mental health issues when you're not really close to them because you don't want to assume anything. Yeah. Or, uh, it, it's just a really tricky situation to be in because she did cause you a lot of harm, but she's also someone in pain who's going through her own yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just... Uh, I mean, my mom also had addiction issues, but, like, I still talk to my mom. I'm still great friends with my mom. Like, I... I, Your mom's awesome. (laughs) I don't take it for granted, you know? But so, when did you get out of that environment when things kind of came to a head with her? Um, immediately, like, once... So, we got into a, a huge fight, and my dad ended up driving to come and get me, and that was it. Like, she tried to call me like times after that like she would call my phone all times of the night sometimes she would call block like even now to this day if I get a weird block call or a number like from a certain area if I know like she's with a certain family member and like I see that area code I get nervous and like is it her but I don't know I don't think I think she's since let it go but initially when everything first happened like she would try and call me all the time and like I'm convinced that she was like probably drunk Mm -hmm. and like she was you know me blocked and all kind of stuff like that and it was just that's not behavior of a mother no but it is behavior of a mother who's you know like an addict so 
Um, so it sounds like you've had to kind of parent yourself a lot through that. Now, my dad, I will say my dad raised me like as a single father um, and he did his best. He definitely tried, but it's hard when you're a single father to try and raise a girl. <laughs> I'm nodding like I know what that's like, but I don't. I can't even imagine what that's like. I can't imagine what it's like, because um, you know, women go through so much. Girls go through so much, even now, like their stuff. And I'm like, no one taught me about this. I don't know about this. Like, I wasn't prepared to experience this. So, I didn't ask for this existence. <laughs> Basically, it kind of sometimes. Sometimes it builds resentment, but I tend to let it go. Um, what, being a woman? <laughs> <laughs> no, just not being taught certain experiences or, or being prepared, like, for certain stuff. I feel like you teach yourself a lot of things, and you're, I see you as a very capable person, but I think it must be frustrating to have to have to be thrust into that role, like having to be the responsible one, having to be the capable one, like that's exhausting. Sometimes you just want someone to like just mentor you. Yeah, I fully sometimes I'm just like, someone grab my hand and show me what to do, like someone just be there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about your incarceration? And, yeah. Like, the stuff that led up to it? Yeah, we can totally talk about that. So, like I said, the big fight happened with my mom, and then I moved with my father... I moved back with my father because I just left his house because I lived with him all through graduate, like all through high school up till I graduated. And then we weren't getting along. So I ended up moving to Florida and then I moved back to Virginia. I bounced around just a lot after, after I graduated. Um, As one does. (laughs) Yeah. I bounced all around and finally ended up back in Virginia and... I was working and I ended up losing my job, not through any fault of my own. It was just like really a mistake, but it ended up, I ended up losing my job. Um, and like, we just weren't getting along again because crazy teenage girl hormones and problem, mental issues at the time that I didn't know existed, just all kinds of stuff, a whirlwind, um, and him being a single father, not knowing what the heck was going on, just trying his best, trying to get his daughter like be normal um, not a lot of like stability there yeah so he was like you know i want you to move out you got 30 days i found a place but he didn't really care for it so then i was like well you don't i don't want really want you to move here my car started messing up so my car was in the shop and he was like well i'll pay for it but you got to pay me back so that pressure right there i was like crap I lost my job trying to get everything together. The garage where my car was wasn't that far from our house, so I could, like, walk there. And I ended up meeting, like, these two guys. And one of them, we kind of, like, had, like, a little, I guess you'd call it, it wasn't a real relationship. A fling. <laughs> yeah, a fling, if you will. I will. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. So in the midst of that, like, meeting him and started hanging around him, um, like I was hanging around other people who were doing stuff too. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't just him. I won't, I won't place it all on him. Um, and I fully like knew what I was doing. Like I wasn't, you know, just out here 
so nonchalant and naive. Like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> yeah. So I was hanging around other people who were fully doing stuff, and I just didn't happen to get caught hanging around them or the stuff that they were doing. Um, and that was just me being in the proximity around them and all their shenanigans. But I, and, and those people even, once they met these guys, they were like, we don't like you hanging around them. So that, that says a lot. Yeah. Um, they were like, yeah, we don't, guys don't, don't hang out with them anymore. So, um, I met them and like, I met the one and like, we kind of liked each other. Then the other one was like his friend and they presented, um, a plan to me, if you will. A business opportunity. <laughs> a scheme, yeah. <laughs> However you would like to call it. Um, and because I was like, well, I got to pay my dad back. He wants to move and just try to figure everything out. Still young. It's not like I had a ton of money saved up or whatever the case may be. So I was like, okay, fine. I'm in. And then like I changed my mind. I was like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not, I'm not doing it. And then at the last minute I changed my mind again. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Um, at that time, I honestly, myself was like, like waking up and drinking and just I I was not really really bad but it just wasn't my best self it wasn't me the typical me at that time you were doing what you had to do to survive yeah um and some people did notice it even looking back like they'll say like yeah I noticed like you weren't around a lot you weren't talking to us or whatever the case may be and now I disappear all the time now I'm just like very introverted and I go through my little phases where I'm just like ew people it's different though that was different Yeah. yeah totally different um so we ended up carrying out our plan. We got caught in the act. I took the cops on a high-speed chase. We ended up on the news. <laughs> this is my first time hearing these details, by the way. Like, I, <laughs> I know kind of what happened, but... You're on the ride with I'm on the ride with Jack. <laughs> so, yeah, we got caught in the act. Um, I think, like, someone called in it. Actually, I think what happened was there was, like, a party nearby, and they called for, like, the cops, and the cops happened to be in the area, and then they, like, got the call that this was happening with mm-hmm. us. So, like, they were already right there. So, yeah, I took the cops on high-speed chase, and it was wild. They pulled us, they ended up pulling us over, and, like, Two of them tried to get away. There was three of us, and the two tried to get away. One of them got caught immediately. The other one they really couldn't find. But then he got caught, and it was just... Oh, my God. A mess. Oh. It was a mess. Um, so I ended up going to jail, and then it was a state case, and then the feds picked it up. So I ultimately got sentenced to seven years and six months in federal prison. What was going through your mind at the time? Like, you were just a kid. Literally nothing. Like, the lady, I was so calm. I, I, like, now, having experienced, like, anxiety and nerves and things, like, I've, in the past year, like, had a panic attack, and I didn't even realize then that it was, like, a panic attack. Um, But, like, having experienced those feelings now and having experienced them so recently, back then, I wasn't going through any of those emotions, like, none of those thoughts, none of those feelings. I just was, I just was. Like, it was just happening, and I just kind of was there. I don't That's know. That's you even, can do sometimes. Yeah, one mm-hmm. of the deputies, like, when she was, like, doing her fingerprints and stuff, and she was like, you seem so calm. Like, I always remember her saying that. Mm-hmm. Like, she was like, you just seem so calm. And she was like, have you ever been, like, locked up? And I was like, no. 
It, it was so weird, like, thinking back, it was just strange. So you get sentenced, mm-hmm. and you're in prison. How, what does your family think? Like, did they try to, like, intervene or anything, or did you just... Um, well, they knew nothing about it. I can be very sleuthy if I want. I basically had, like, a second life. Like, I had okay. a double life that no one knew about. Um, I can be extremely private and very cut off to people, including my family. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Especially your family. Yeah. <laughs> So they, I mean, they couldn't intervene because they didn't know. So, yeah. Um, I was going to say something else in my brain. Oh, so I think part of the reason, I think I had mentioned to you recently before this happened, like I had a dream that I was either going to go to jail or get shot Hmm. before that happened. And I mean, I ended up going to jail. So, yeah. And I don't know what triggered that dream or anything like that. Maybe I just knew, like, the stuff that I was doing and the people who I was hanging out with and the stuff that they kind of tended to get into. Um, Maybe that's why. I know, (laughs) like, when you're caught up in something, for me, with my addiction, I knew it would all, like, come to a head eventually, but I kind of just accepted it. Like, I I was very calm, and, like, when shit started hitting the fan, I just kind of was like, this is happening. Like, I asked for this, and it's just, like... It's really depressing. I don't know. That just made me think of that when you were talking about your experience. Just that feeling of kind of being in a haze, just accepting what's happening and just kind of disassociating. At least for me, I don't know if that's what happened with you. Yeah, it sounds like it could have been like, yeah, I'm very much disassociated. (laughs) So seven years is a really long time. Yes, I turned 21. After I got sentenced, actually. Fuck. Yeah. So we we don't have to talk too much about your actual prison stay. Uh, It is a long time and like... Oh, that's interesting there. (laughs) uh, I'm just like trying to even imagine what... Because those are formative years. Yeah, there's a lot. A lot that I'm just like... Sometimes I'm like, crap, I have to catch up. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. But then I'm like, you can't. You know, even, like, now, certain things that I've recently gone through, like, in your 20s, you go through relationships, and you go through a lot of things that develop you for your 30s and your boundaries and how you approach relationships, whether it be a romantic relationship or just, like, a regular platonic friendship. Mm -hmm. And I'm going through all of that now, and it's very strange, and sometimes I get frustrated, and I'm just like, ugh. It's this scary. Is the worst. Yeah, and I'm like, why didn't anyone tell me this or whatever? I don't know. Did you have, like, what kind of relationships did you have in prison? Like, you know, not just romantic, but like platonic. Like, did you so have I anyone? So I still talk to, I still talk to girls who I was incarcerated with. Yeah, I still keep in touch with them. We have each other on social media. So even if we don't, like, direct message or, like, text each other or call each other, um, I still see what they're doing. They see what I'm doing or whatever, you know. Um, and I some some of the girls I've met are doing very well. Like, they're doing very well, and I'm very nice. proud of them. Um, but, yeah, it's it's weird to think. Like, and I know a lot of people are like, well, those people did this and this and this. Like, when you're in there... For the most part, unless someone just did something that's, like, really, really shitty and just, like, heinous and disgusting, you know, people do tend to stay away from them. But Mm -hmm. we don't think about that. That's not, like, the first thing that we think about. We don't put the crime as a label for the person. 
the person is the person, you know, in certain situations. Like, because some, some of those women will sit down and tell you, like, their story. And some of their stories are very sad. And some of them mm. are just, like, very mind-boggling. And some are just really crazy. <laughs> like, I've known people who are, like, incarcerated and they were on TV shows and stuff like that. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So... We don't tend to, like, label for the most part because, like, you come in there and everyone's like, well, we're all in the same boat. And some of those women are really nice and really giving. When you first come in there, you don't have anything. And some people, even their whole incarceration, don't have anything because they don't have family to support them. Yeah. But other people will kind of help out. And you do have, like, a job in there, but you're not making wages like you would out here. Um, so it just depends on, you know who's around and in their heart and how giving they are, how nice of a person they are. But yeah, I still keep in touch with people. Like I was just on Snapchat last night with one of my, with one of the girls I was incarcerated with and she lives in DC and I've seen her since we've both like been out and everything. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You kind of have to be each other's family, I would imagine. Or yeah, definitely. I guess family can have negative connotations. <laughs> support system. Yeah, I would say definitely a support system. And they do have, you know, different programs and groups. And well, I was going to ask you about that, like mental health wise. I mean, since this is a mental health podcast, I'm just really curious about how your mental health going in, we talked about, and then just like over the years being in there, like what kind of changes you must have gone through and then coming out like that's a whole other story I want to keep us moving but like I have so many questions (laughs) (laughs) um so as far as being in there and like how the system is and how they deal with the mental health um I did like when I went to one of the facilities I was in um Philadelphia and I actually was seeing like somebody for mental health um and they have you know different counselors and different things set up for you to try and help you as best they can um as best they can. (laughs) But through the first couple years, I I didn't talk to anyone. Like we had our initial like guidance counselors or like our case managers or whatever, but that wasn't necessarily for like a, for a mental health thing. But then once I went to Philadelphia, like I was seeing someone solely for that. But throughout the years of being incarcerated, um, I definitely noticed my depression got worse. Um, especially when I got to Philadelphia, I used to just like sit in my cell all day. Like I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't come out. Or if I did come out, like I would shower early in the morning or like late at night, like right before the doors closed or whatever. And most of the time I had a room to myself there. So it's not like there was anyone coming in and out or like, unless, you know, the people, the girls I knew like were intentionally coming to check on me. It was just like me, like the officers did their rounds, but they would just think I was asleep or whatever. They weren't going to come in there and be like, hey, how are you doing? What's yeah, going exactly. You know, like, it wasn't like that, so. So it was, like, easy to isolate. Yeah, very easy. Like, at one point, like, I was doing a step class and I was working out, but I also was, like, fighting through depression, and I was, like, working out and not eating at the same time, so I just, like, lost a lot of weight. Yeah. And I, I, I stopped working out because I was like, I look, I look sick. <laughs> like, it started to kind of show but yeah. Did it ever scare you? Like what was happening? Not necessarily. I think I've been more scared of my depression on the outside because I, I have more, there's more harmful things and there's more resources, you know, when, when those thoughts start, um, as opposed to being in there, there's only but so much that you can't do. And like, there's camera there, there's always someone watching, like whether it be, you know, a girl in the pod or, 
like I said, the cameras or a CO. Like, it's, I mean, granted, there are incidents that happen. Right. Um, you know, but yeah, it's definitely easier to isolate, but it, it's not as scary. It wasn't as scary for me. So when did you find out you were getting out and like, what was your reaction to that? Ah, um, I was excited. They always give you, you have to meet with your case manager. They calculate your time when you come in and like, you have to meet with your case manager every certain amount of months and whatever. And there were a couple times I did get in trouble and had to go to the shoe, which is the segregated housing unit. And, um, like, they tell you how many, like, if you do have disciplinary action, if they take days away, good days and stuff like that. Like, they keep you up to date on that as much as, you know, possible. There are instances where sometimes they you just have a crappy case manager and sometimes, you know, the system is a system and they are mm-hmm. shady. Um, so you have to fight for certain stuff. But they give you, once you get to a certain point in your incarceration, like, they give you options for a home plan. And, like, you have to have an address or somewhere to go. And, like, they tell you if you're going to go to the halfway house and all this different stuff. So I had that all set up. At the time, I had a girlfriend. (laughs) And she was supposed to send my clothes for me and all this, that, and the third. My sister, of course, ended up sending, sending my clothes because me and her, like, fell out or whatever. My sister is actually the one who drove me to the halfway house. <laughs> they drove my sister and my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is awesome as well. He always, like, drives with her. Like, they would come visit me from Florida to Connecticut to Philadelphia, wherever I was at, West Virginia. Um, I love your sister. I don't know her. <laughs> Shout out to your sister. You know who you are. So, yeah, they drove from Florida up to Philly and then drove me from Philadelphia to Norfolk to the halfway house. And she, like, had a whole bag for me, had stuff ready for me, whatever, you know, everything. I was excited. I wasn't really... I was kind of nervous. I think I was most nervous once I got to the halfway house and, like, afterward. Like, I remember the first time going in a store and having, like, swipe a card. It was the, like, strangest thing ever. It just was weird to me. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, big technological changes, too, over seven years. Like, that's a long-ass time. Yeah. (laughs) What, What were some things that you saw and you were just totally unprepared for? Um, well, we watch TV and stuff, so, like, in watching TV, and, like, we did have, you know, email and stuff like that, like, we had our little MP3 players, too, (laughs) Oh, shit. music, yeah. (laughs) So, like, and then, of course, because people were coming in, constantly coming in, like, they were telling me about, like, they would tell you about stuff, and, like, my sister would send me magazines, both of them. At one point, one of them, like, had just set up a subscription for me, and I would get magazines and stuff like that, so... Okay, so I wasn't too, too far out of the loop, but there's still... Even now, I've been home since 2018, and some stuff, I'm just like, wait, what? You can do that? No way! That's possible? People do that? I'm like, (laughs) no. Technology is just a mind-blowing thing. Regardless, I think. Um, yeah. We're in our 30s now. <laughs> I mean, you've been I'm in your 30s. 29. You're um... a year ahead of me. <laughs> so I'm catching up. But yeah, it, yeah, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. And then, you know, you get to the halfway house and I can imagine there's just like a lot of new people. Yeah. A new place. What was that like mentally for you? Exciting. I was excited. I was nervous. I do remember when I, like, 
even as I said, when I was, you know, incarcerated and like when I was in Philly, I would isolate. I used to isolate in the halfway house. I definitely would um, just like be in my room for days on end or like not really come out or not really um, associate and like communicate with other people. I have a question like real quick. So I know when you're an introvert, you need that alone time. It can be really healing. But I also know like being alone as a choice, like isolating can be incredibly harmful do you ever um, differentiate between the two? Or I know you probably do now. Like, you know when you need to be with people and when you need to be alone. But, like, back yeah. then, do you think you knew what you were doing? No. Okay. No, I didn't. But I could definitely tell the difference in my feeling, like, my emotions. I could tell, like, okay, I'm sad and isolating as opposed to, like, everyone's just getting... It's too much going on out there and I just need a break. Yeah. Um, like... I wasn't differentiating it in my mind, but now looking back that I am able to differentiate it, I can tell, like, those, I could tell my feelings, my emotions were different. I just wasn't realizing it in the moment. You were just saying how in prison you were, like, losing weight and isolating and stuff. Like, when you got out, I can't imagine that that magically went away. No, it didn't. Um, But with me being around people and having to, like, re-enter into society it, it did get a little bit better it didn't go away but it got better because I had to you know the halfway house they require you have to get a job and you have to start working so I started working and then being there I started working at the laundromat I met people like one of the first guys I dated I met at the laundromat and he was really really awesome guy I still talk to him actually every now and then so that kind of helped as well talk about the re-entry process because I know that's something that I, I just feel like a lot of people, myself included, are not really aware of how that works and like what kind of struggles people go through just to get back, try to get back into society. From a mental health perspective, I just can imagine it being really, really difficult, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I was on probation and... One of my stipulations for probation was that I had to go to counseling. And in the halfway house, I also was going to counseling. Um, The only thing about that is, like, they just give you, like, the bare minimum. They don't tailor it to your real needs. Like, like right now, if I was to get back into any kind of counseling for mental health, um, I am an African-American woman. I would probably get like african-american woman to be like my counselor to identify with me more um both of the counselors i had though during those periods were women but it's just like hard to sometimes speak about things that you're going through or experiences with someone who has never identified or had to go through them you know you're trying to connect pieces that are just kind of like don't really fit Sometimes, you know, someone can be empathetic and totally sympathetic, but it's different. Um, it's not the same. Yeah, yeah, it's different when you haven't really experienced it, or even if they haven't experienced themselves, known someone close to to experience it. It's not even just about experiencing, it's about, like, being. Yeah. They give you as much as they can, but like I said, it's not a tailored experience. And, like, even nowadays with, like, Talkspace and BetterHelp, you can tailor those experiences or tailor those tailor your needs, you can, you know, pull out what you need and they try and match you with those people to help you better. And those cases, they don't. It's just like, okay, well, you're just going to go to counseling and this is like the bare minimum of what you need. 
It's like um, a machine. Yeah, it very much is. The system is very much a machine. Um, it's like, okay, you come out, you're going to go to the halfway house, you're going to get a job, you're going to do this. It's very much like points that you have to hit, boom, 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 um, to move along. But just because you're hitting those points doesn't mean that they're necessarily like the best for you, if that mm. makes sense. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? But like as far as your experience goes. Yeah, so what, like I said, they had stipulations for me when I was in the halfway, the lady I had in the halfway house, I really liked her and she also had a dog that I really loved. <laughs> and like she would have her dog in our sessions, but whatever. <laughs> Um, but then afterward, are you allowed to have pets at the halfway houses? No, no. So this was at an offsite. Like I would have to go to the count. It was called the counseling oh, center. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This was yeah. your counselor mm-hmm. that had the dog. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I would have like every day a set time to go there or whatever. Oh, not every day. Um, but like I had a schedule to go there or whatever. And then once I left the halfway house and started on probation, even though they gave me the stipulation of counseling, I didn't start counseling immediately. So I was just on probation, um, unsupervised. Like I would have to do my report every month or whatever. But until I had, I went through a very traumatic experience um, at one of my places of work and it got so bad that I called my probation officer because I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to get in trouble and I didn't want to get in trouble and end up getting incarcerated again, like yeah. get violated or anything like that. So I called him and like, he didn't answer the phone, but I left him a voicemail and like, I was crying cause I just like was freaking out at this point. And I was like, I don't want to get in trouble. Like that was my biggest thing. So then he was like, well, we can get you started with your counseling, but that was already a stipulation anyway. So that at some point was going to happen. That was just like a checkbox for him. He was like, oh, you can happen a little earlier. Move you yeah, along. Yeah, basically. And the lady who I had, she was nice enough, but I just, I wasn't getting the maximum out of it. Like, I wasn't getting, I don't know, I was just sitting there talking to someone just to, like, like I said, fulfill a check mark. Yeah, exactly. Fulfill a like, hit a point. But it's not like I was getting any real feedback or any coping skills or any, like, real advice or anything like that. Which um, you'd think that would be the prime focus of these check marks in my experience it doesn't seem like they just i feel like they just do the bare minimum it's like okay well this is what we are obligated to do so we're just gonna give you yeah you know i mean it's it's not a hot take that the system here is extremely flawed and and like it sucks um yeah i feel like the system like there's girls i know um who have gone through like some really really deep things in inside their incarceration even outside afterward and even I feel like the afterward stuff is still tethered to the inside and I feel like the system definitely fails them and has failed them um so yeah I want to ask like how your mental health is now and like you know, maybe kind of tell like how you got out of the halfway house and like how, what, how things have changed since then and what you still struggle with. So I was released from the halfway house in August of 2018. Yeah. August of 2018. Um, and like I said, I was on probation and I was, I was terminated from my probation early and I got off probation. It's been 
a year, two years. It's been like two years, I think. I'm not good with dates. It's <laughs> blurred to me. Um, I think that's one of my one of my crazy little mechanisms that I do. Oh, uh, you mean like trauma <laughs> response? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think it's been like two years. Um, You're not allowed to call yourself crazy on this podcast, by the way. Laughs um, nervously. <laughs> And wait, what was the question? Well, sorry, I, uh, I was just wanting to kind of tie the last part of the story with like where you are now and like okay. getting out yeah. of the halfway house. You said it happened a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm off probation now, and I have not had any um, mental health treatment since I have been off of probation. It's um, a seesaw; it goes up and down. Certain things hit me way harder than others. Um, I feel like right now I'm level, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> is that is there a world like... where that exists? <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm at a, a a good level, but there are times where I don't know. I, I have to combat it because I feel like I I could slip down that slope very quickly mm-hmm. a couple months ago as you know I was definitely getting ready to slip down that slope um, I was probably like at a halfway point I don't think I was as bad as I've been before but it was bad enough definitely bad enough I still battle anxiety a lot I'm very much an overthinker which ties into anxiety Um, that's like my major, major one. (laughs) That is, that's the elephant in the room for me all the time. Um, Do you feel like you have more of a safety net now than you might have when you first got out? Or do you still feel like it's hard to talk about this kind of stuff with people? Um, it depends. It depends on who it is and, and what exactly is happening at that time. There's stuff that I've gone through that, like, my sister knows basically everything. She knows everything. I tell her everything, good, bad, otherwise. And I try to tell her as soon as possible, even if I have to cry through it or whatever the case may be. Like Sometimes you have to <laughs> in cry the moment, yeah, like In the you know, there's some people who are just now finding out stuff um, that I've gone through since I've been home or even, like, when I was incarcerated. Because, like I said, I can be very, very secretive and very closed off. Um... I don't know. I feel like my safety net is my sister at all times. (laughs) I feel like it has gotten, as I meet people and build new friendships, because I don't want to discredit my old friendships, but as I meet new people, um, I feel like I do tend to get better. Practice makes perfect. Yeah, I get better at talking about things. And I feel like I am always building that safety net. Well, it's hard to trust people. Yeah, yeah, definitely hard to trust people. I have, I have major trust issues. Major, probably for good reason. (laughs) Oh yeah, (laughs) so yeah. You're still working through a lot of stuff every day, actually. (laughs) But I see you like getting better at taking self care measures and just like standing up for yourself. Like I'm so proud of you, and I haven't known you that long, but you take time for yourself more. And I just, I'm really proud of you. And I know it's just going to keep getting better. Thank you. I appreciate you being here. We're all in this together. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) 
Um, I don't know what else to say to wrap up, but, um, normally I would tell, like, people would, like, say where to follow them and stuff, but you don't want any of that. Um, (laughs) y'all don't want to follow me. I just post about animals and goofy stuff all day. I harass my friends sending them things. (laughs) Well, um, thank you so much for doing this. I know it, it must be hard to talk about some of this stuff, but I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you. And Thank you for having me. I am so glad that you invited me. I was super excited. Yes. <laughs> We've talked about it, and now it's finally, it finally happened. So. Yes. Um, and I'll probably have you back on at some point, because yeah, you have, you have, I have so, much so much to talk about. More to talk so about, much. Yeah. We could do this for hours, but we're in my kitchen. There's no AC, and we have to be somewhere in an hour, so... Or whatever. I say we've definitely discussed some things, so you know there's way more we can get into. So yeah, thank you so much. Um, Thanks, guys. And that's it. Bye. Hello, friends. It's Christina again. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to support Pickles and Vodka, you can give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Pickles and Vodka Podcast. If you could relate to anything at all we talked about today or you just want to say hi, email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at picklesandvodkapodcast. Stay safe and have a good week. Bye.